0: We're continuing in our our. <laughs> We're continuing in our study of uh, of uh, our power up series, praying with the Apostle Paul, praying the Scripture. I've been using this imagery uh, that Paul himself uses to talk about the work of God. In 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And in any work of God, God, you know, where where God is the cause, God is the source, then our role and the role that we play is essential. It's important, but it's never the cause. It's the means. So think through this for a minute. Your prayers... Place the seed, yeah, they are not the seed. The prayer itself is not the seed. So the seed itself has to be a good seed, which means it has to be the word of God, has to be the promises of God, has to be the will of God. If the seed is not a good seed, then you're not gonna, you know, what you're gonna receive from it's not gonna be good. So the seed is the word and the promise. That's what you're praying the will of God, the word of God, the promises of God. And then what you pray is not the water. You know, it, by praying, you're bringing the water, which is, again, in, in a sense, you have to think about it in terms of the living water. In other words, you have it has to be spirit-led prayers. Uh, part of the armor of God that many of us include is uh, all prayers in the spirit. So that's the watering. Your prayer itself, even if it's a prayer of tears, is not water. The water needed. It's the Holy Spirit that is the water that's needed, the living water that's needed. And you and I as believers, we have that living water flowing from within us. So many people have, in a way, made this mistake of thinking, well, you know, I prayed I said some words, or I thought some thoughts, maybe, you know, even laying in on my, on my bed, kind of kind of groaning out some thoughts of, of what I need or what situation I find myself in. But you see, the biblical teaching about prayer is that it, 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 it's more than just words spoken. It's more than just thoughts launched. It's a relational process that has to do with the connection between a believer and God, but also has to do with the relational connection between children and their father. And so many times our prayers are not being heard, and we we don't understand that they're not being heard, but they're not being heard because the seed isn't the word. It isn't the promise of God. It's not the will of God. And so... Often the the ineffectiveness of our prayers have to come with the fact that we haven't we haven't really understood His word, and so there, therefore we're not really praying His will. But that's not the only you know that's not the only cause. And today we want to begin to look at at at, at what ch- turns all this around. But a lot of times the way we ask or how we ask, what you might call the spirit of the one who is praying or the spirit of the supplicant, that's kind of an old word for, for a person praying, well, the spirit itself is not right. So you see, if, if, if I'm watering in selfishness or I'm watering in pride or I'm watering in self-seeking, then this will hinder the answer. Am I really praying for my own pleasure? Am I praying for my own glory? Or am I beginning to understand that for prayer to prevail, it must be asking for the glory of God? And that can only happen if I'm willing to live for the glory of God. So in a way, this is what I've learned, is that sort of the... The ultimate trust given to God is when I say what Paul says here in the prayer in Colossians 1, 9 through 13 is I so trust the purposes, the will, and the glory of God. I so trust that that I will live my life to please Jesus in every way, including my prayer life. And, I, and I'm and i doing it not not in a way out of uh, obligation or duty, but I'm doing it because I really believe that that this is the way that my life will be its fullest, its most meaningful, satisfying. It'll have reality to it, it'll have beauty to it, it'll have a lasting, sustainable glory to it. So the ultimate trust is what really Paul is getting at here. Am I praying out of this place of trust that by pleasing the Lord Jesus in every way, that my life will be its fullest. And, and a lot of times, this is this is, where, this is where our conflict comes in. Is he here to serve me so that I'm fulfilled, so that I'm satisfied, so that I'm safe, so that I'm you know, comfortable? Or am I here serving him no matter what, pleasing him in every way? and And it's a question that, in every crisis and every trial that comes up, will i will I yield, will I surrender to pleasing God? will I continue to live for his glory? will I you know, in my prayer life, will I plant the seeds of his promises, even if it takes a long time? will I water in the spirit, even though it takes a long time and that's why paul. His prayers are so helpful to us because he says, I have not stopped praying. No matter what the crisis is, no matter what he's going through, I have not stopped praying. So he can teach us in this of how to see these incredible and extraordinary answers that we need in our lives. And in this section of the prayer he prays for the Colossians, he he sketches out in four very distinct characteristics how we please um, Jesus in every way, how our life can be pleasing and what it looks like. Now, they're not only really marks of the believer, but as these four characteristics are seen in your life, they are a way of defining what a life worthy of the Lord looks like. This is what a life worthy of the Lord looks like. And it's interesting, and we know that these four go together because grammatically Paul uses a Greek participles, which he's, he says, a life pleasing the Lord, and then he uses four participles, which tell us they're parallel in his mind as to, a, you know, what it looks like to please the Lord, what it looks like to live a life worthy of the Lord. So the, the two we're going to look at today, and we'll look at two tomorrow, the two today are this, Christians bear fruit in every good work. So a mark of a life that's pleasing to the Lord is that your work is so surrendered to the Lord that it bears fruit in every good thing that you're doing. Now, you know this is pleasing to God, but think about how incredibly satisfying it would be to you as well. That in every endeavor that you set out to do, that you, the characteristic of it would be fruitfulness. Yep. You know, this is in many ways this is this is the objective of the grace of God. Here it says bearing fruit in every good work, but but Paul has in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 through through 10 he's laid out the Christian life as a life of grace you've been saved by grace. And again, you know, through faith, not, not because of your faith, but through your faith, by your faith, by means of faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then he talks about us. He begins to say you are God's workmanship. This is that new status that you have, the new identity that you have. God's workmanship in Christ Jesus, you know, for good works that he has prepared beforehand for you to walk in. And so we began to realize that that and, and this sometimes when I say this out loud it's almost it's almost hard to believe but in everything that Jesus has done when we see it in John fifteen we see it here in Colossians we see it in the Ephesians two passage he has intentions for your greatness that's what fruitfulness is fruitfulness is not mediocrity fruitfulness is not frustration fruitfulness is greatness because he says not only has he ordained that in your life you would you would bear much fruit but that it would be fruit that remains that you would make a lasting impression on this world in this life that you live and so you know what that looks like has a lot to do with how he has wired you how he has designed you so this is such an important aspect that you and I look and say, am I being fruitful? Now, you can't go out and try to put fruit on a dead branch. If you're not being fruitful, it, it, you can't go find the fruit. You've got to find where the connection of the life-giving flow of Jesus in your life, of the spirit in your life, it has been severed or is weak. You go back and say, okay why am I not bearing fruit well then the second one comes in and this is paul says to please the lord in every way you have to grow in your knowledge of god paul sees the christian life as a constantly growing never never status quo never staying the same but constantly growing in the knowledge of god and there's an aspect here there's an aspect here where there's a connection that starts to happen if you have a hunger for God, well you have to realize that that hunger for God was produced by God himself within you. You know, hunger for God is the first work of God in any person's life. And so that hunger means that there is a vital connection, but now you've got to begin to nourish and nurture that hunger. And and that means going to the word of God. That means beginning to learn more and more about this God that you have a hunger for. But the thing is this, everything that he shows you is an invitation then to adjust your life to him and to begin to operate in obedience. Again, trusting that pleasing God will bring the ultimate pleasure to your life. Trusting that his word is really the way to live your life and not being resistant. So that the more you obey, the more knowledge of him you get, the more knowledge of him you get, the more profound and more powerful your obedience becomes. Jesus made this promise to his disciples. He said, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out more and more about God. <laughs> and and And, you know, he wants you to really go in there and go deeply into and say okay how do i learn how do i learn the very character and nature of God in such a way that it begins to apply to the way i'm living my life and you begin to get a cycle that's very uplifting i learn more of him i obey him i obey him i learn more of him and that that knowledge grows together now so let's put these two truths together and 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 i want to illustrated from a powerful life that has uh, in a way been a mentor to me and at least a teaching to me that I have tried to follow. Okay, so these are the two truths and they go together. Fruitfulness in everything you do. I mean, if there's not a desire for that, a fruitfulness to see this kind of godly success in everything you put your hand to and and it comes out of A true knowledge of God, his word, his promises, his character. And you will not have that knowledge if you are continually saying, I just want to know about God, but I'm not going to respond in obedience to God. Knowledge leads to obedience, real knowledge. Because biblical knowledge is more experiential than just intellectual. It's not a clinical experiment. It's a life-transforming experience with God. And so that leads to greater and greater knowledge of God. So uh, one person I like to read and listen to said, some of the best mentors you can have are dead mentors. And so one of those in prayer that I have studied over the years and pondered over the years is a man by the name of George Mueller. Mueller was uh, uh, back in the 1800s. He, He was German. He was born in Prussia and he came to christ and he he felt a call to ministry and and ended up in england as a pastor and he had this pretty radical experience in which he decided that in order to have fruit in every good work he really had to devote himself to prayer and he had to devote himself to praying the scriptures and so he he felt the lord lead him very very profoundly, he had a very unique call, but he had a, a profound experience of saying that he would live his life on the basis of prayer. He would not he would not ask other people for handouts. He wasn't even going to take a salary from his church. And he he, he was going to in everything seek the provision of God for his ministry, for his family, for his personal needs. And he made this 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 very radical type of commitment. And as he poured over the scriptures and prayed and God began to provide, he began to realize that his call was to orphans and was to take care of this incredible number of orphans in England. And he, he, he sensed the Lord's call to do so And through prayer and through through waiting on the Lord, he opened a home for orphans and he began to accommodate 300 of these orphans, which is a significant number. But then as he was praying and searching uh, the very heart and will of God, he sensed the Lord uh, leading him to ask for more. Okay, remember, I planted Apollos watered, but God gives the increase. So he's planting the seed of God's promises and and his word. He's watering it. Even as he's reading the scriptures, the spirit is illuminating and the spirit is applying the scriptures to his life. And he begins to believe something more, an increase needs to come. And so he's thinking about a second home for orphans. He, has, he doesn't have the money for it. He doesn't know where it will come from, but he senses the Lord is leading him in this way. And he begins to get a piece about this second home. And here's, here's what he writes. He says, I could wait for years by God's grace, were this his will, before even taking one single step toward this second home or even speaking to anybody about it. And on the other hand, I would set work tomorrow were the Lord to bid me do so. See, he's laying it out the way I'd like for you to see that Paul is laying it out. If you want to be fruitful in every good work, there are times when the the Lord hasn't given you clarity and you don't run ahead of him and you wait on him. Even if it takes a long time, you wait on him because his timing is what's going to bring the fruitfulness but then he also says, if it is clear that you're to set work tomorrow, then you do it. You move quickly. Again, the one who is causing the fruitfulness is not you. But you can resist the fruitfulness by not being responsive. This in many ways is, is, is how a person begins to realize you know the Lord. The way that Paul is talking about growing in the knowledge of the Lord. Now listen to what he says. This calmness of mind, this having no will of my own in the matter, this only wishing to please my heavenly Father in it, to please the Lord in every way, this only seeking His and not my honor in it, this state of heart is the fullest assurance to me that my heart is not under a fleshly excitement, and that if I am helped thus to go on, I shall know the will of God to the full. But while I write this, I cannot but add at the same time, see, you don't, you don't extinguish the passions that the Lord gives. You listen to the passion that he has about working for the Lord. I do crave the honor and the glorious privilege to be more and more used by the Lord. You see, he's not, he's not craving the, the glory. He's not craving the fame or the approval of others, but he has found that there is fruitfulness in being used mightily of the Lord. So here's what, he said, here's what he wants to do. I desire to be allowed to provide scriptural instruction for a thousand orphans instead of doing so for the 300 I currently teach. I desire to expound the Holy Scriptures regularly, regularly to a thousand orphans. I desire that it might be yet more abundantly manifest that God is still the hearer and answer of prayer and that he is the living God now as he ever was and ever will be, when he shall simply in answer to prayer have condescended to provide me with a house for 700 orphans and with means to support them. This last consideration is the most important point in my mind. The Lord's honor is the principal point with me in this whole matter. And not just because this is the case. If he would be more glorified by not going forward in this business, I should, by his grace, be perfectly content to give up all thoughts about another orphan house. Surely in such a state of mind, obtained by the Holy Spirit, you, O my heavenly Father, will not suffer your child to be mistaken, much less deluded. By the help of God, I shall continue further day by day to wait upon him in prayer, concerning this this thing, till he shall bid me act. You see, this is a perfect illustration of fruit in every good work. In other words, I'm not going to move until God tells me to move. But when I know that it's time to move, I know he will supply. I know he will be the resource. He will be the sustainer. And so I move with, patience, uh, with assurance, with passion. I mean, think about what he's praying here. And yet he's, he's, he's laboring over making sure it's to God's honor. And he, he's doing something so noble. He's wanting to care for another 700 orphans, and yet he doesn't assume, but he goes to God and says, is this of you? Will this honor you? And here's what he explains about his process, and this is what I've learned from Mueller, and this is what I see in the Apostle Paul. He said, I have to have it settled in my own mind that God alone by his spirit can teach me and lead me, that that therefore I've got to inquire of God for blessings. I have to seek God and seek that this is, this is of him, and I do so by reading. And while I'm reading the scriptures and while I'm praying the scriptures, he says, the Holy Spirit is my teacher. Now, he said the Holy Spirit doesn't always teach immediately the way I want him to or the way I desire it, but it but if I continue to come to him, he called it entreating the spirit again and again. The spirit will unpack and, and, and unveil the passages and teach so clearly the light that we need to go forward to have our work be fruitful. See, he said in everything, as you are, you are bending the knee in a sense of your will, then the glory of God comes. And I just think this is so powerful because this is, this is Mueller talking about a process, this relational process of fruitfulness in his work. He, he was able not only to build and uh, sustain the second house, but later on, uh, on, he was able to do five, six more houses. And he was able to take care of, by prayer, through the resource of God, he was able to take care of thousands of orphans. Here's, here's what he writes about that in, um, towards the end of his life. He says, when I began the orphan work in 1835, my chief object was the glory of God. By giving a practical demonstration as to what could be accomplished simply through the instrumentality of prayer and faith. Now, I just sense that that is what the Lord's asking of us, is to give a practical demonstration of what can be accomplished simply through the instrumentality of prayer and faith. Again, our prayer isn't the seed, but our prayer plants the seed. Our prayer isn't isn't the water, But our our prayer brings the Spirit of God to water the seed so that God can give the increase. And, And what kind of benefit? You see, Mueller was thinking not only the benefit of the orphans, he was thinking of the benefit of the whole church of Jesus Christ. He wanted the whole world to see the reality of the things of God, showing that God is the living God. And this is the interesting thing, is even though Mueller... His ministry was to these orphans listen what happened multitudes of sinners have been benefited by this work the larger work has grown the greater has the, the larger the work has grown the greater has been the blessing bestowed in the very way in which i look for blessing for the attention of hundreds of thousands has been drawn to the work and many of ten, many tens of thousands have come to see it All this leads me to desire further and further to labor on in this way in order to bring yet greater glory to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, pleased in every way, that he may be looked at, admired, magnified, trusted in, relied on at all times is my aim in this service. And so particularly in this intended enlargement, that it may be seen how much more One poor man, simply by trusting in God, can bring about, remember we talked about not just praying about things, but bring about by prayer, and that thus other children of God may be led to carry on the work of God in dependence upon him, and that children of God may be led increasingly to trust him in their individual positions and circumstances. Therefore, I am led to this further enlargement." Uh, it is so moving to me as I look at the lives of those who have gone before us and who had circumstances and faced circumstances not unlike our own, but who decided that their way of going about it is they were going to pray the scriptures. They were going to be led by the Spirit. They were going to pray in the Spirit. And they were going to see answers. And here was one man who made that his life's work. And God was glorified and Jesus was pleased. He, he gives a little uh, uh, three-step or kind of three-element uh, viewpoint about, about this aspect of fruitfulness and every good work and the knowledge of God. Listen listen what he says. This is step one, he says. Be slow to take new steps in the Lord's service or in your business or in your families. Weigh everything well. Weigh all in the light of the Holy Scriptures and in reverence of the Lord. Step two, seek to have no will of your own in order to ascertain the mind of God regarding any steps you propose taking so that you can honestly say you're willing to do the will of God if he will only please to instruct you. Have no will of your own. Weigh all things in the light of the Scriptures, in the light of the Spirit of the Lord. And then, Step three, but when you have found out what the will of God is, seek for his help and seek it earnestly, perseveringly, patiently, believingly, expectantly, and you will surely in his own time and in his own way obtain it. Wow, powerful words, huh? How often do we come already knowing what our will is and trying to bend God to our will? How many times do we hear clearly from God and yet we do not do what he's asking us to do? And even as we're doing it, we're not necessarily asking him for the kind of help that Mueller talks about, that we continue to pray perseveringly, patiently, believingly, expectantly. There's a story, there are many stories about Mueller's life that are interesting in terms of his prayer life, but there's one that really illustrates how powerfully not only the big picture but the little picture of his prayer life became he was uh scheduled to speak in Canada and he had to get from Plymouth England to Canada on a boat and the fog had set in in Plymouth and he knew that if they didn't leave uh he would be late getting to the conference so he went to the captain who was a believer And he said to the captain, Captain, we need to pray because I need to get to Canada and God will hear our prayers and he will lift this fog. And the captain, though he was a Christian, did not believe that prayer would lift the fog. So Mr. Mueller began to pray and the captain you know, was kind of feigning prayer but he didn't believe the fog would be lifted in any way. So Mueller finished praying and he looked at the captain and he said, there's no need for you to pray. Mueller was praying out loud. There's no need for you to pray. You don't believe, and so therefore your prayer would not be very effectual anyway. And he says, besides, God has already heard my prayer, and the fog is lifted. And the captain and George Mueller went up on the deck, and the fog was completely gone. And the captain was just utterly amazed. You see, even before, because of, of how he had learned to listen to the Spirit, Pray in the spirit, expectantly, faithfully. He, he knew before he went up on deck that the fog had gone. And, and, and it had. And the captain was amazed and the story was told you know, down till this day. It's not just praying about things. It's bringing things about by prayer. But these things need to be those things which please the Lord in every way. And, and what we learn today from Paul's prayer is it pleases the Lord in every way as you grow to know what it is God wants to do in your life, and you begin to believe with all your heart, then you'll know what to ask because you'll know his will. But one of the things he wants more than anything else, and one of the things He set up for you is that your work, every good thing that you do would be fruitful, that there's a greatness in you that's waiting to come out. But the origin of that greatness is not of this world. It's not physical. The origin of that greatness is spiritual. That's why prayer is essential. It bridges the gap between the spiritual and the physical, between heaven and earth. Your your causes, your sources are all heavenly course, uh, sources. Your, the vine of your life is rooted in the Trinity. It's rooted in heaven. And only as that life flows in you do you see the fruitfulness in every good work. Would you take... This seriously today, and the model prayer that I wrote for today is simply this: Father, I desire to live a life pleasing to Jesus in every way. It's a simple thing. I desire, I hunger, I long to, whatever. I acknowledge that everything you have done for me, that everything you have done for me has the purpose of making me and my life fruitful. That's the purpose of God for you. that pleases Jesus. I pray to abound in good works. Fill me with the knowledge of God. That's how you'll abound. I express my hunger for you. I choose the way of obedience so that I may grow in my knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being with me today. God bless you.